All right, back on the Jeff Calkins Show, joined now by Chad Brown. Chad Brown, of course, you remember him as a uh, terrific linebacker, 15-year NFL veteran, three-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, Pro Football Hall of Fame's Class uh, Hall of Fame 2023 nominee. That's kind of exciting. Them, just to be nominated is... Uh, and also, of course, was part of the Buffalo's, uh, Colorado Buffalo's first and only NCAA championship team back in 1990. That was the last time they were awesome. Uh, he does lots of media stuff, including uh, Denver Broncos analyst. You'll probably hear him on ESPN Radio. And uh, ESPN Encompass Media Network's coverage of NCAA college football, which means he will be in the booth for the Tennessee-Alabama game uh, doing the national radio broadcast this weekend. Chad, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. How are you? Well, I'm fantastic. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Um, how does it feel to be nominated for the NFL Hall of Fame? Oh, it is uh, amazing. Um, you know, when you think about – I first started playing football when I was six years old. started playing tackle football when I was nine years old. And to – go through that journey and all the people who helped me along the way become the player that I became. Uh, I think that Hall of Fame nomination is really a tip of the cap to all those people who were instrumental in my football development. Um, so as you said earlier, it's a, and as they say at the Academy Awards, it's an honor just to be nominated. <laughs> so even if I never get a chance to, to wear a gold jacket, uh, to even be mentioned with the greatest to ever play the game, having gone to Canton and, toward the Hall of Fame. I mean, it is hallowed football ground. It doesn't get any better than that. So to be, uh, again, just a small part of that conversation is incredibly touching. It's fulfilling. And, again, it, it gives validation to all those nasty socks and jocks my mom watched. <laughs> and all those times my dad drove me all across Southern California for Pop Warner games and all those pieces of the puzzle that allowed me to develop as a football player. So before I get to Alabama, Tennessee, it, it's interesting. Like looking over the the, the arc of your career, um, you have had some remarkable experiences, including that Colorado team back when they were awesome, won a national championship, and then you really started with the Steelers. And it's interesting now to look at both of those teams and see where they are. One, uh, uh, some remarkable highs this year, and one uh, sort of trying to figure it out. Let's start with Colorado. As an alum, um, what do you make of what's going on there in Boulder? Uh, I, I think you can't help but be excited if you are a Colorado alumni or Colorado Buffalo football fan. Coach Pond has brought you know, relevance back to the program, a program that literally this time last year I was on radio and television saying, I'm not sure there's a Colorado Buffalo football program in five or ten years. That's how far they had fallen. It was clear, you know, after Mel Tucker spent one year there, that the ability for them to get a good coach, if he turned out to be any good, to, to retain a good coach was going to be incredibly difficult. Uh, with guys like Christian Gonzalez, you know, signing to become a Colorado Buffalo, leaving to go to Oregon to play for literally greener pastures as far as NIL dollars and greener passes as far as success in the football field, turned himself into a first-round pick and goes to the New England Patriots. So any good player we had was going to get poached by somebody most likely within our same conference, the Pac-12, and they were going to be playing against the Buffaloes the next year that they showed any kind of promise for Colorado. So the, it just seemed to be in a downward death spiral, the program. And now for Coach Prime, obviously, the swagger, the confidence. So whether you love or hate Coach Prime, I think either way you're paying attention. 
as evidenced by the television numbers for the Colorado Buffaloes this year. And as he has said, you better get us while we're down, meaning this year is going to be probably the worst year from a talent perspective that the Buffaloes have. They'll be much better. Obviously, they've got some issues defensively. The offensive line is a major issue as well. So while there's some talent on the outside and they're finding ways to win some games, in some cases like last week, finding ways to lose games, they're part of the conversation. Um, I like to think they'll get to six wins and become bowl eligible, which would be an amazing turnaround after last year being a one-win team and literally being the least talented, and according to Sports Illustrated, the worst football team in America last year. With 88 new players, 68 new scholarship guys, Coach Prime has managed to get things going in the right direction in a very short period of time. All right, how about the Steelers? Are you surprised by their their struggles under Mike Tomlin? I am a bit surprised. Um, now, obviously, if they're 3-2, and two, they found a way to win last week against yep. Baltimore. Baltimore was making mistakes, and sometimes that uh, same – more games are lost than are won. I think the Baltimore lost that game rather than the Steelers winning that game. But for Mike Tomlin, you know, I don't think you put you apologize for your victory. For a guy who's been there for 16 seasons and never had a losing record, it looks like he's going to be able to pull that off yep. again. But to your point, they're very uneven. And the development of Kenny Pickett is still in a bit of an odd phase. You know, can he be the guy? Those kind of questions are still being asked. Uh, clearly there's some talent uh, around the, around that football team. Guys like T.J. Watt are literally all pros, Mika Fitzpatrick, guys like that. But then again, there's guys like um, Kenny Pickett who have yet to develop into what Steeler fans will be hopeful that he eventually becomes. It's interesting because, um, again, we're talking to Chad Brown. He'll be in the, in the booth uh, for Tennessee, Alabama uh, this uh, weekend. Um, just had a couple NFL questions first. It's interesting to watch that because obviously the Kenny Pickett, there were incredibly high hopes for him in the preseason, particularly this year. But when you look around, these great coaches, Mike Tomlin, um, you know, Sean Payton, there you are in Denver, uh, and Bill Belichick, if they don't have great quarterbacks, how great? I, mean, I don't mean to say how great. I don't want to disavow everything that they've accomplished, but. It is the like without it you're dead, right? I mean, is it like I don't know? What do you make of like the Sean Payton and Bill Belichick right now? It's 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 interesting, and I think it's a fair question. Uh, having played for Bill Belichick, I considered him to be the greatest coach of all time. Um, I played for Bill Cowher. I played for Mike Holmgren. I played for Bill McCartney at, at Colorado, and all those were incredible coaches. But the things that Bill Belichick taught me as a football player, the small little ways to win, uh, the ability to clearly look around that team and recognize we're not as talented as the other teams we play, but we find a way to play a better brand of football. We do our jobs, you know, take a Bill Belichick phrase, and win games because of that. To see where they are at right now is just – it's difficult to, to accept. And I think if you listen to Teddy Bruschi on yeah. ESPN or any of the other Patriot guys who have a national media spotlight – um, yeah, they are torn because they all look at Bill the same way that I look at Bill. But looking at the results on the field, it's like, well, what would Bill Belichick do about Bill Belichick? This is a guy who released Richard Seymour a year before he was still, you know, while he was still in his prime. Lawyer Malloy, Randy Moss, all these players that Bill Belichick got rid of because they were underperforming despite you know, having had success on the field for the Patriots, despite being, you know, in some cases an all-time player like Randy Moss, Bill Belichick always found a way to move on when the winning wasn't there. 
And so what would Bill Belichick do about Bill Belichick? He would move on. That's yeah. what he would do. It's always going to be about the team. It's always going to be about finding ways to win football games. So, uh, yeah, this year's performance, I, I think, for Mr. Kraft and for Bill Belichick, they've got to have a serious conversation in the offseason. And the, the goal going forward for Bill Belichick as an NFL football coach can't be beating Shula's all-time win records. It's got to be a return to the simpleness of do your job and let's just go out there and find a way to win. Not for me, but because we want to go out and win important football games because that's our goal as an organization. Uh, talking to Chad Brown on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, at ChadBrown94. All right, Tennessee, Alabama, uh, this weekend, you'll be in the booth. It was wild last year. Um, is this year's game going to be just the opposite? I used to have two very different teams with two very different quarterbacks. Well, I mean, you talked about last year's game. That's, that game was, a, was an all-timer. <laughs> uh, 101 points scored, 52-49 to 49, uh, final score. Broke a 15-year losing streak for, for Tennessee. Uh, the 40-yard field goal walk-off. Um, yeah, I mean, going into, going into that, that game, you knew it was going to be a great game. Um, Hinton Hilker was playing well. Alabama was playing well. And to give us an all-timer, that was a treat. This year, to your point, I'm not sure if it's going to be exactly the opposite. If 101 points are scored on one side, I don't think it's going to be 10 points scored this year. They will put up some points, but it's certainly not going to be the same kind of offensive fireworks. Uh, last year, Tennessee was leading the country in 30-yard-plus pass plays. This year, they're 96. So, yeah, they, their points will be scored, but the game won't be nearly as, as high-flying. Joe Milton is not playing at the same level Hendon Hooker was. Uh, Hendon Hooker has some playmakers on the outside that Joe Milton is lacking to. For Tennessee – and Joe Milton, they're still trying to round into form offensively. It's really their defense that, that leads the way this year. Guys like James Pierce with six sacks, six and a half sacks, 11 quarterback hits. Uh, Aaron Beasley, eight and a half TFLs, two sacks. Tyler Barron, five sacks, four quarterback hits. So they're being led by those kind of guys rather than an explosive offense like last year. So Jalen Milrow gets clobbered every single week. I mean, it may be built into their recipe. Like I, uh, but he gets sat, you know, every single week. Can they protect him? Or honestly, do they, like, maybe their strategy is let's take some shots and uh, we don't care if he gets sacked five times a game. What, what can they, can Alabama, given that fierce Tennessee defense that you just rattled off, can they protect Jalen Milrow? Uh, no, I don't think they can. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had the call uh, Alabama-Texas A&M, uh-huh. and Jalen Milrow was just punished that game. And so their ability to protect the quarterback, particularly in critical situations, they've got to find a win they win on first and second down to prevent the defense from pinning their ears back on third down. Once the defense pinned their ears back, there's so many holes up front for, for Alabama that someone's going to win a one-on-one. In some cases, um, two or three guys may win their one-on-one battles. But Jalen Milrow, to his credit, does a really good job of keeping his eyes down the field and doesn't get consumed with the pass rush. He gets sacked. He's uh, been sacked with 31 times. Well, they've been sacked uh, as a team 31 times. That's 126 in the country in the sack rate. So they're awful up front protecting the quarterback. But like I said, for Jalen Milrow, he keeps his eyes down the field. Uh, he was able to last couple of four, three or four games. They've developed in a bit of a, a deep passing game, some post routes, some deep crossing routes. They've got some explosive guys on the outside, like uh, Jermaine Burden and Isaiah Bond. So, uh, I, just like Tennessee's offense is starting to find its way, Alabama is starting to find their formula as well. And to your point, I think 
recognizing that this is the lay of the land. We can do all these things differently to try to eliminate some of these sacks. But if it's not really affecting our quarterback, Mill Rose is a 65% passer on the year, and again, he keeps his eyes down the field and doesn't get afraid of the pass rush, then let's just keep doing what we do, and we'll try to find a way to fix this maybe in the offseason and spring ball. Uh, so to your point, maybe that is the formula. I don't love it as a formula, uh, but it's, it's allowing them to go out and win football games, and Mill Rose beginning to progress even within that formula. It's, it's been interesting to watch. Um, I guess you'd call it a down year for the SEC, and you would say that, my gosh, look at the has the – I don't know, the balance of power, you wouldn't say, has shifted to the West, but the, the great quarterback play is in the West, right? It feels like certainly what we watched last week with Washington and Oregon. Um, so I guess what do you make of, of, of where Nick Saban is with Alabama? And just like, do you think he's going to win another national title before he heads off into the sunset? Uh, I, I think like Bill Belichick and Nick Saban and Bill Belichick are clearly – good friends and have coached and worked together. Uh, I I think when you're in a down phase as a program, clearly the Patriots have been in down phase phase since Tom Brady left. Um, Alabama now this year and last year kind of in in a bit of a down phase compared to their their highest of highs. I think it's human nature to look at what what can we pull off one more time. And for Bill Belichick, it's try to beat uh, Don Shula's all-time wins record. And for Nick Saban, can I win one more? Uh, they don't have a Heisman Trophy winner under center after having so many of those guys. Uh, they don't have a, an all-time defense uh, as they've had in some of these years past. So I don't think Bill Belichick nor Nick Saban have forgotten to coach, how to coach. Uh, I think Nick Saban is still a little bit more dialed in than Bill Belichick appears to be currently. Uh, so I think it's within the realm of possibility. This is an odd year in, in college football. I, I think the, the COVID year, uh, some of the rule changes, uh, some of the approaches to practice and practice co- uh, padded contact and some of those things, some of the restrictions from the time, limitations, all those things are starting to catch up with not just college football but with NFL football as well. We see a lot of really strange play calls from people who should, who should know better situational understanding seems to be lacking with a lot of coaches. Uh, Players don't seem to understand situational football. So uh, I I know the question was about Nick Saban and about Alabama, but I I think we're looking at maybe a a new phase of football where there's a bit of just sloppiness and uh, mistakes that maybe we hadn't seen, you know, five or ten years before because of the changes to practice structures and practice schedules and, Mm -hmm. and, and things like that. And for a coach who has, is as disciplined and as detailed as Nick Saban, maybe he's got to refigure out how to win in this phase of football. Obviously, he was incredibly successful when he ran, when they were a defensive football team and they ran the ball and they were a pro-style offense. You know? And then they shifted into a new, more high-flying spread offense, despite Nick Saban saying how he was against up-tempo and spread and all those kind of things. He found a way to win in that era of football. So I don't ever want to doubt Nick Saban. Maybe he'll find a way to win in this era where transfers are happening. You get kids for maybe a year or two. So they never really become dialed into your detailed program and all the ways you want them to be. You've got to figure out a way to maximize them in a very quick and short period of time. You've got to simplify things, dumb things down a bit. So uh, I don't want to think Nick Saban can't pull that off because he's pulled it off before in different phases and eras of college football. 
Talking to Chad Brown, of course, uh, 15-year NFL veteran. He'll be on the call, uh, Tennessee, Alabama, this week. By the way, Chad, um, someone asked me to ask you this. Do you, you, you still have the reptile company. You still ship reptiles, right? It's ship your reptiles, and I don't know if you still have a large collection of reptiles, but you still, you still do ship the reptiles, right? Yes. Uh, yes, I do. I had a reptile breeding company called Pro Exotics Reptiles. Uh, we were one of the nation's largest breeders uh, of reptiles and produced several thousand babies every single year. Sold them all over the globe. Unfortunately, I had a fire, fire. Uh, yeah. about uh, 10, 12 years ago and lost most of the collection in fire. I've since transitioned into Ship Your Reptiles, which is the, the nation's leader in live reptile shipping. We ship animals for private hobbyists, for small businesses, for zoos and institutions, and we even help out like the military mom who needs to ship little Timmy's turtle in Tennessee to Texas. <laughs> so we do all those things and service everybody in between, but we also do business as shipper aquatics for folks who are shipping koi and fish and uh, corals and aquatic plants, and we help out a few uh, big public aquariums as well. Ship your inverts for people who are into bugs, and we recently just launched Ship Your Floor for people who need to ship plants around the country, whether they're uh, uh, somebody who's into weird and odd cactuses and those have to be ordered online. You can't get those at your local nursery. Folks who are at the very cutting edge of orchids or the rose hobby, we help those folks out as well. That's incredible. Now, I ask this advisedly. I used to be a lawyer, and they used to tell me when you're a lawyer, you should never ask the question that you, to which you don't know the answer, particularly if they're on the witness stand. Don't ask them because the answer could. So I ask you this question as someone who does radio and uh, media here in Memphis, the home of FedEx. How do you ship your reptiles? Uh, well, we are contracted with FedEx. Oh, that's FedEx. a winner. That's a champion. That's good. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. FedEx does an amazing job at what they do, which is get a package you know, somewhere by 1030 the next morning. And most of those items I mentioned as part of my, you know, my shipping niches, uh -huh. And have a perishable component to them. There's a time-sensitive component. There's a temperature-sensitive component. And so FedEx is incredibly good at what they do. Uh, we sell all the specialized packaging and give the, our customers expertise and know-how, when to use a cold pack, when to use a heat pack, when's the best time to ship, when shouldn't you ship, when there's you know, slowdowns at the Memphis Hub and folks should wait a day to ship. So we give them all that expertise and advice. Uh, we just look for FedEx to do exactly what they do move my package efficiently through the system, get it where it's supposed to be on time. And if that is the case, then, uh, you know, it's, it's a 99.9% .9 survival rate with animals and uh, plants moving well, through our system due to the efficiencies of what FedEx does. What's the biggest reptile you've ever shipped? Oh, wow. Well, you know, once reptiles get to be a certain size, then the FedEx system is just simply not built oh, for things like that. You know, a really large Galapagos tortoise. You know, I ship, <laughs> you know those Galapagos tortoises for zoos. Right. I shipped a, a three- or four-year-old. You know, to ship a 50-year-old, 500-pound tortoise, that's not what FedEx does. That's far better uh, right. to go than to do air cargo with an airline. I got you. Um, Chad, you're wonderful to join us. Thanks very much, and we'll be listening on uh, Saturday. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate yep. it, and I'm uh, looking forward to a great football weekend. Take it easy. Yep.